<laughs> so, all right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Elbows Tight Podcast. I have a very special guest today. Uh, Joan and I were just BSing probably about 10 minutes before even pressing record. So I'm super excited about this conversation. Uh, Jonah, how you doing today, man? Thank you once again, like, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited for this conversation and to talk jujitsu, music, family, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, man, I'm stoked. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I wanted to make a joke. We've like covered like half the stuff I would have talked about <laughs> before the record, but that's all good. We'll yeah, no, it, it's, it's, all, it's all right, right? Because we could go back to it now and like it's, uh, it's like priming the pump, I guess you could say, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't like make notes or anything. I probably should have, but we'll, we'll riff. Yeah, I, I usually don't um, like... I have like questions, like a list of questions that I want to go over, but I really try to keep it like as organic as possible and just whatever comes from the conversation comes from the conversation. I usually use it for like, if there's a lull or I'm like, I don't know where to go from this. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I'm excited. So, Hey, for people that don't know you, uh, surprisingly, I have a lot of people that will know you that listen to the show. Uh, can you give a quick background of who you are and, and how you got into jujitsu and everything? Yep. So my name's Jonah Weinhofen. I was born in Adelaide, South Australia, grew up in Australia, moving around a lot, um, lived in a bunch of different places, regional, rural cities. Um, I started a couple bands in high school. Um, one of those I started with two of my good friends that I went to high school with. Um, it went on to be named I Killed the Prom Queen. And we, we had quite a lot of success in Australia initially. And then you know, got a, got a label deal and started touring all around the world. Um, and then as a result of that, I met other bands and people and, and kind of really networked in the music industry along the way and ended up joining a band from California for a couple of years called Bleeding Through, who anyone that's into like metal, metalcore, hardcore will probably know. Um, and then after that went on to be in a band called Bring Me the Horizon uh, over in the UK for a couple of years as well. And they're like one of the biggest bands in the heavy music genre on the face of the planet. So I'm blessed to have had some time with them. Um, and I got into jujitsu actually through my best friend uh, here in the US in California. So I moved out to Cali in 2007. Um, and one of the guys that I moved in with and became good friends with, his name's AJ. Um, he was, I think a purple belt around that time. And so he was like, just pumped to get anyone he could training. Right. You know, that's like where we're at. Right. Right. <laughs> but like, we're both right there. So that was him at this time. And he, he had me come and do like kind of a couple of little like garage classes with him. And I, at the time I remember like not really being like, into any kind of like fighting stuff like as a kid all i wanted to be was a ninja like loved martial arts took karate classes nothing ever really stuck but i just loved like the movement and you know the ability to like kick someone's butt and then um had some kind of like bullying issues in high school which i guess now i'm kind of like making up for in, in a weird way with my jujitsu stuff but yeah he tried to get me into it early on and i was still very very heavily touring at the time so it also was not something i kind of felt like i could really dedicate time to or i was moving around so much couch surfing and hotels and tour buses so um i would have loved to have stuck with it then and be a black belt right now but um it wasn't until i kind of moved away and settled back in california met my wife um we were dating at the time but um 
that I was kind of settled there for longer periods of time in between tours. And then eventually I kind of stopped touring around like 2015, 2016. Um, and 2015, I want to say is when I had like started going to his classes. So he was a black belt by then 2015 has his own or had his own school in, um, Orange County. And, uh, yeah, so he convinced me to come back in and I was a fresh white belt and started training pretty regularly in 2015. I mean, I took little breaks here and there with some tours and had some like little injuries early on as well, which kind of took me out for a couple months here and there, but been pretty consistent since around then. Um, and I'm now a purple belt. Um, I now live in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm at a different gym here called Deboa Jiu-Jitsu, which is a affiliate of One Jiu-Jitsu. Um, and I love it. My training partners here are like super tough. Everyone's like big and strong. And I came in just like I didn't know what hit me. You know, I came <laughs> in with a fresh purple belt. I'm getting beat up by these like competition blue belts and like young guys and there's I know there's like cops and military that train there so everyone's super tough and I feel like two years in training there now I finally feel like I'm kind of like treading water a little better um which is good because it's kind of helped to raise the level of jujitsu for me now did you go there right after your injury because we talked a little bit on Instagram a while ago about your I think it was your knee right you, yep. you had to take like a little bit of a hiatus because of your knee injury did you join them right after you kind of like got you know 70 80 percent better or so i was go. already at deboa so my knee injuries are like kind of still a bit of a mystery but um i had two little things happen years ago like one when i was still a white belt and one when i was a blue belt and the white belt thing was like i was like training a position with someone inexperienced and i and they like moved in a weird way because they didn't know the etiquette of like just let me like do the thing and you just kind of like stay still and loose and they moved and my leg was like locked in a weird way and ended up kind of like locking up myself. And then um, like a year or two later, I was training at um, a friend's private gym, the Violent Gentleman guys, and they had a bunch of high-level guys who were there for, um, for Worlds in Long Beach at the time. And I was rolling with a brown belt and he knee-barred me and I just, it was like very quick and intense and I tapped as quick as I could, but, you know, something kind of crunched in there and, um, I believe I have detached meniscus in both knees. That is, I don't know what level of healing and it, it probably like, you know, goes between being more extreme and then healing. And I've done a couple rounds of PT and stuff, but yeah, I took about three months off at the beginning of this year just to kind of give it a rest. Cause it was getting like kind of bad. <laughs> um, but since then I did a, a good round of PT and I've started like incorporating more like strength training and, kind of home workouts and that's i'm definitely not a hundred percent but i'm i'm training on like 60 70 percent knees right now hey i mean as long as you could train that that's uh that's always nice it doesn't affect your like day-to-day -day life too much does it no no like every now and then i'll feel so, like when i took the time off it was at a point where like when i was getting into bed and like lifting up my leg to like slide it under the blanket a certain way like just that weird angle i could feel like it wasn't quite right we have uh, i have young kids so we have a baby gate up at the top of our stairs excuse me and like sometimes i'm lazy and i just hop over it but even that like motion of like hopping over and kind of windshield wipering the leg over the baby gate was like all right that feels not great <laughs> you're like yeah. maybe maybe i shouldn't be doing that <laughs> so yeah hey, I took, so I took did you did you feel like you're, you're i mean you're tall and slender right like how tall are you i'm six foot 
Yeah. So did you did you feel when you uh first started jujitsu did did you feel like your body was kind of I mean because we all talk about like tall skinny guys how jujitsu is like perfect for them especially for like triangles or something like that. How long after jujitsu did you start feeling like man maybe my body's like actually kind of made for this? Um. Well, one of the things that really sold me on jujitsu before I'd ever started was like, you know, my buddy AJ, my former instructor, kind of just teaching me about like the early UFCs and how um, jujitsu was just used to like beat bigger, stronger opponents. And then same in like certain other um, uh, like MMA situations, even street fight situations. So I was drawn to the idea that me, a little guy who's not physically strong, could use technique to exploit the body's weaknesses to potentially beat or overpower or protect myself against someone bigger and stronger. So for like the longest time, like probably six, seven out of the eight ish years that I've trained, like I relied on that. Um, and it was probably like blue belt where I, I kind of learned some techniques and I was like, Oh, I can, I can do this because like my legs are flexible and weird. And like, like one of the biggest compliments I get from my training partners is like being called like an octopus or something. And they're like, yeah. like, I'll feel like I'm controlling you. And then there's just a foot that comes out of nowhere. And I'm like, how did that foot get there? You know? So that stokes me out. Um, and I trained with uh 10th planet in LA for a little while during COVID just cause I wanted to kind of get some of the rubber guard stuff in my game. And I felt like my body was pretty primed for that as well. So there's definitely yeah, some, I like all the like funky weird stuff that like I can do because I have that kind of the long slim limbs and flexibility. Yeah. Your, you, your body style is like the hardest for me. Cause I'm like short and stocky. So yeah. I'm that guy that's like, how the, where did this even come from, bro? <laughs> I thought I was past your, I'm literally inside control and both feet are back in front of me. Like what is going on here? Yeah. Like I've taken people's back from like Keiza Gatami and like, um, one, a big thing I've been working on a lot is just being more dangerous from the bottom because, because I'm the little guy, you know, I mean, for up until this year, I was, but anywhere between 135 and 145. Like, Oh wow. Yeah skinny and lightweight and so easy for a bigger opponent to like trap me on the bottom right especially in side control um and sometimes that would trap me in a way where i'm doing everything right i'm doing all the techniques i'm framing i'm like trying to create that space and hip escape and just nope <laughs> can't do anything <laughs> so i've started working on like some reversals that i really like um but also some attacks from bottom and it's guys get wise to it now you know like i try oh yeah with my training partners and they're like yeah you're not gonna do that again but um it's definitely it's something that would help me like in a probably a different kind of scenario so kind of to tie into like music obviously because you mentioned like you're a huge musician um what does the process look like when you're like creating a song or like learning a song uh for whatever band you're in what does that process look like like how does your creative and learning uh like brain work um well for me personally a big thing about being creative with my music is like the headspace i'm in and i've actually had like the this kind of intention to create more music recently i, I did a little bit last year with a band kind of like session style um 
but I'm, I'm literally sitting at my like home studio desk. I'm looking at my speakers and monitors and my gear. I got guitars behind me, but this, I have to be like almost in this intensified, like isolated kind of situation where I'm like, that's all I'm focused on. Um, and it usually takes me a little while to kind of like get the gears going as well when I'm being creative. I was definitely like always in two different mindsets between like touring and performing and that kind of like day-to-day life. And then like writing and um, writing music, trying to record demos, things like that. So yeah, I think the biggest thing for me is just like being in the head, in the right headspace. And usually it takes me like a good couple of weeks. I like, Mm -hmm. I write, dog shit music at the start like it's like you got to get all this like crummy stuff out before the good stuff starts to flow it's really weird and it's like so embarrassing to say as someone who's had like a pretty high level music career <laughs> like, i've written some bad stuff um but it's just like part of the process it's you know kind of getting the wheels turning yeah i mean you could completely tie that into like jiu-jitsu right has, has your like learning or create a uh, creative experience from music transferred over to jujitsu at all like is there any crossover because it sounds like your music experience in creating is almost completely different than how you have to do it in jujitsu it kind of is like jujitsu for me is a bit more methodical and i for for a really long time i had these kind of expectations with jujitsu and it took me up until recently to just like let go of those and Mm. You know, and that just kind of, I think, comes with inexperience and just having these like big goals and wanting to wanting to excel faster than you can, especially, you know, someone like me who's on the older side and has a job and a family and then, you know, other sort of creative outlets like my music. It's it took me a long while to go, OK, this is I can train two days a week and that's it. And, and to be okay with that and to be okay with like people that I train with surpassing me because they train five times a week or the young kids that train and it just like sticks. Whereas I have to like, it's, you probably know about it, but like I'll, I'll drill a move and learn a move or a technique in class. Like, and it just, it, if I don't write it down or record it or drill it over and over, like it's just gone. But then this really cool thing happens where like, you know, maybe that same technique comes up in class a year later, or you, you come across it somewhere else and then something just clicks. And like, I've had that where I learned a technique two years prior, literally never thought about it, never used it, never brought it. And then I'll pull it off in a roll and I'm like, Oh, and then it kind of gets integrated into your game that way. Do you think that expectation of being better than you thought you were going to be comes from your success in music or where do you think that kind of comes from? Um, I don't know. Honestly, I think, I think there's a, a difference to me now as far as when I was in my music career where I, I like to think I've always been a pretty humble person. Um, but I definitely, you know, I kind of had a bit of an ego for a little while with music and it was enabled through like all the people around me. Um, and obviously you just can't have an ego in jujitsu. Like someone's going to beat you unless you're Gordon Ryan or whatever, you know, like someone's going to beat you. It's going to be someone older. It's going to be someone younger, faster, stronger, better. Um, and it's just years of just showing up and being okay with like knowing you're going to have shitty days. And like, there's that funny meme that I've seen a couple of times about like, 
when you when you finish a class and you drive home really slowly with the music turned <laughs> off. Like, I know that feeling like in my soul and I've yeah. had those nights so many times. But in the last, I'd say like year or two, probably in the last year, I, I haven't had that a lot. And like I'll get my ass beat and I leave and I'm stoked or I'll like, I'll be like wrecked, you know, like I'll have a super hard class where I'm just like physically exhausted, but like I'm still stoked in a way. And I can just, there's been things lately that have quantified my progress a little more than maybe they have in the past. And one of those was competing recently. Um, and I feel like I was really, really underprepared for my competition um, for various reasons. I travel a bit for work. So I was traveling a bunch in the like mm. month or two prior that I should have been really like training and training takedowns and training like learning the point system because that's something i never cared about when i roll i'm just there to like learn and have a good time but um i i did this comp and i did okay i, I came second um in the gi and i went up a weight class in the gi as well and then i came third in no gi as well same comp and so that kind of like gave me a little bit more confidence and kind of made me realize all right like whatever i'm doing is good i just got to stay consistent keep showing up keep trying to be better. You know, now I'm incorporating the the strength training a little more as well. That's definitely a noticeable improvement as well. I've had, had people kind of comment on that. Um, and I've felt it like firsthand. Did, was this your first competition was, or have you competed before? So I, I have competed before. It's only my third. Mm -hmm. I, I've never was super driven to compete. I mean, Same. everyone knows it's like super nerve wracking and uh, it's very intense, like twice as intense as the most intense role you've had at your own <laughs> kind of thing. It's just, it's pretty wild. And, yeah. you know, maybe I have a little bit of an edge because I'm, I've always been really good at dealing with those nerves from all the years of getting up on stage in front of thousands of people. Um, but um, I kind of, promised myself when I started jujitsu that I would at least compete once per belt level just mm. to check myself, check where I'm at. You know, I'm, I, I'm not ever going to be like a pro athlete or anything like that, but I feel it's important. And and since I joined this new gym that they, they are pretty competition focused, they have a lot of people that compete various levels. Some do really well. Some just do it for the experience. Um, and there's a, there's not a pressure to compete, but they definitely encourage it just for the experience. And so, yeah, I, I did my first comp at white belt. It was no gi only, and it was a very small local comp in SoCal when I was there. Um, and I did terribly lost every match and it was, a, it was a round Robin, but because it was so small, they kind of like, I feel like I had like four matches mm. for some reason, even though I lost every single one. Um, my second comp also no gi only blue belt, um, I prepared a bit for it, but I decided to cut weight. And I think that was a mistake just because I thought like, oh, well, if I cut, I'll be against like, it'll be more fair. But I didn't think that like, I was going to be this like super tall, skinny, weak guy. And everyone else is going to be like four foot and like jacked. <laughs> so <laughs> I got schooled in that comp as well. But then, you know, and again, like a different kind of learning experience, but one nonetheless. Um, so yeah, this was only my third competition since I've started training. Yeah. It's funny. Something you mentioned there, cause I kind of wanted to talk about it too, is your, your sure. career of getting on stage in front of thousands of people and then jumping on the mat in front of competition. Like, uh, 
like we alluded to before when we were just chatting before we press record is like people tell you jujitsu competition jujitsu is just jujitsu it's like yes and no like there's a whole lot more that goes into competing in jujitsu than just the the rolling aspect because even though to me the rolling aspect was you know miles different than Mm -hmm. what i do in class like you mentioned too you know um so what was the biggest takeaway that you brought from you know stepping on stage playing for in front of thousands of people to to competing and and you know putting yourself out there for competition in jujitsu i mean i said this to my coach like i i think i deal with the nerves pretty well and that's not to say that i'm not nervous i think i just maybe process it all in a different way maybe than other people because i've dealt with that for 15 years of getting on stage but the nerves are different man like getting on stage i i didn't really ever get nervous and it sounds really weird to people i tell this to but like the only times i would get really nervous was if the show was much smaller and more intimate Mm. or if i had like a lot of family members there or if like, you know, we're at a Christmas family party and they're like, hey, get up and play a couple songs for us. If I'm like, like I just no, want to hang out. <laughs> yeah. If I have no rehearsal or, and it's like a room of 20 people, all eyes on me, it's like, forget about it. If it's like a sea of people, it's kind of like a little bit more ambiguous, I guess, or something. But yeah, I don't know. The the, the nerves of competition is someone's trying to murder you. It's like that kind of nerve so i don't know it's different um i i I feel like i could feel the nerves this last comp but like there's just or almost no time to like dwell on it too much because everything moves quickly right unless you're there all day long waiting for your turn but i got there like 30 minutes before i had to go out in the bullpen and i was like all right do this all right you're up first i was my my match was first in the group that i like shared the mat with and it was just so fast moving that you don't have time to like freak out necessarily that's one thing i noticed too is when they called us to the mats they're like all right uh masters one 208 whatever you're you're up and they walk us to the mat and there was like no time between us getting to the mat and then the first match going you know what I mean? Yep. And then even when you step on the mat for those that yep. haven't competed before, even when you like step on the mat for the for your match, there's no time. It's like you step on, you shake the ref's hand, you shake your opponent's hand, and it's go time. Yeah. Like that I was like in my mind, I don't know what I was thinking. In my mind, I was like, there's gonna be some time. I can just chill for a second. No, I was so surprised it was like go. <laughs> I tell you what though, so because I had a couple wins this last comp, it definitely, I walked away with a, a different feeling, like more confidence yeah. and more of a positive takeaway. And it actually made me think about like, oh, I might actually compete again at Purple Belt and like more than once, you know? So I don't know if I would have the same success or anything, but I feel like, like with my music stuff, if I kind of keep trying it and keep dealing with those nerves it'll probably work out the same you know i'm not planning to compete 100 times a year like i would play shows 100 times a year but i'm sure i was way more nervous when i was starting out with music and just kind of learned to deal with that nerves and stress and i like to think i could do that for competing as well yeah i'm i'm 
I was surprised how little nervous I was, but still like maybe I was just suppressing it because I just knew me having these feelings and doubts in my mind was going to do absolutely nothing for me when it was go time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I set like little minor goals before I even stepped on the mat. I was like, look, if I don't have dominant grips that I can do something with, I'm just going to let go. I don't want to tax my grips. If someone has dominant grips on me before I do anything, I need to break the grips. Like that was in my head the whole time. Every time someone grabbed something on me, I was like breaking grip. I was like, this is my goal right now. Like, and I think that honestly helped me quite a bit dealing with uh, what was going on in the match and my nerves because I knew like I had minor goals that I wanted to accomplish and I didn't get submitted. I lost two out of three. Uh, Mm -hmm. I won my first one and then lost my my second two. And one goal was not to get submitted. I got submitted in my last one because I was like dead exhausted. I was I could like the guy grabbed me and he had so much power energy. I was like, Bro, what what do you want? Like yeah. <laughs> what submission do you want? Like just take it, man. <laughs> like, I'm rough. trying to go home. <laughs> yeah, I got submitted in one of my matches too. Um and I was I think I was pretty fatigued at that point, but you know, it is what it is and it was I was actually doing like pretty well until that happened as well. Just he got into kind of an advantageous position. And I think one of my things, my takeaways and learnings from that comp was that I need to have more confidence in certain positions and Mm. submission attempts because I, I mean, I just had this, you know, again, with my long ass legs, I had this guy, I had a body triangle in close guard. I had my body triangle locked around him. Um, And I couldn't do much with it and it's not easy to move, but it's, you know, I I could take a breath and I can control well from that position. Um, But afterwards he was like, dude, you should have squeezed tighter. I almost tapped just to your body triangle. I was like, I didn't think of that. And I, I haven't experienced it bad enough to like know how that is. But, and then there was another submission attempt I tried and I, I just should have gone for it harder and I didn't. And I kind of went to switch to something else and it led to the guy escaping the position. But yeah, having, having more confidence in myself when it comes to trying those things, I wish I had more of a strategy like you even just to go, all right, this is my goal. My goal is to, to do this one move that I've been drilling for six months or whatever, but I like didn't even go into it with that. I was just like, I'll do my best, I guess. So how how do you build your comp? How did how have you built your confidence on the mats? And you know, because being a purple belt, I mean that's to everyone tells me I'm a blue belt still, right? <clears throat> and people are like, oh man, once you once you get your purple belt, you know, people start start respecting you more. You know, you get more credibility and this and that. And I was like, I was like, man, maybe that's true. How how have you like built your confidence? One being you know a purple belt and then competing and whatnot to to you know, allow yourself to put yourself out there or to be okay with, you know, losses or getting submitted and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I'm, I've always been a fairly naturally confident person. Again, this kind of comes back to the music stuff, right? So I, a lot of my confidence was instilled in me as a kid by my parents, especially my mom. I think that's super important. So for anyone listening, that's a parent, like just definitely double down on, on, instilling that confidence in your kids um not to say that like i want them to all get a participation trophy or anything like that but i think it's just it's just about how we communicate with them with the kids and how we you know represent that confidence to them um so i had a a really positive experience with that and then 
with music comes confidence, obviously, you know, you kind of break these boundaries to overcome things and step on stage in front of a lot of people. Um, because I'm naturally confident with a lot of things, I, I love to drop in at gyms when I'm traveling too. So I haven't, I haven't done a lot of touring since doing jujitsu, but I did a couple tours with a band last year. Um, and luckily I had mats that I owned. Yeah, that I saw that semi-portable so i brought those with me one of the bands we toured with had a a couple blue belts and then a, another guy just starting out wanting to to get into it um but on the off off days i would just you know find a gym if there was a gym within scootering distance from the venue i'll just go try it out same with my my job i travel a little bit and i kind of have a couple gyms now where i've been there a couple times and i'm sure people don't remember me but there's one <laughs> or two that i've trained at like four or five times um and I know people that just wouldn't be into that, you know, like they're kind of, it's hard enough stepping onto the mat in your own gym for the first time. And it's all new people and everyone wants to murder you. And, <laughs> and, uh, so to then repeatedly do that at new places is also really hard. But I think for me, like the yearning to train outweighs the like nervousness with like showing up at a new place that I don't know anyone. But other than that, like just, again, it sounds kind of cliche, but just like consistency, being consistent with my own training gives me confidence because, you know, there's a move that I learn and I'm, I suck at it. And then six months later, I, like I said, I comes out of nowhere. I already <laughs> is something I'm drilling and I'm better at it and I hit it and I hit it and I hit it until it starts working. So that naturally builds up your confidence and, I think another thing that probably some people have had experience with, uh, definitely at least at Purple Belt, is submitting a higher belt mm. or like at least doing some kind of technique efficiently and well against a higher belt, like that kind of stuff. You know, everyone has their kind of days and their weaknesses and higher belts, lower belts, everyone has it. So it got, kind of goes both ways. Like you might have what you feel like was kind of a shitty role, but someone might have done something against you that worked really well and they're a lower belt and they're like, fuck yeah, that worked. And on a purple belt or a brown belt. So, you know, that's little wins like that, I think kind of kick up the confidence a bit as well. Gentlemen across the nation, I have an urgent message for you. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. The brand that took your balls to space is now launching them into the Ultrasphere, introducing the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Featuring the new cutting edge design and next generation dual skin safe blade heads for two different shaves, it's pretty much a spaceship to take your boys downstairs to the next level. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with the brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with code ETP20 at checkout. Every man knows how scary it can get when you go for a close shave below the waist. That's why I trust Manscaped for all my sensitive areas. I'm lucky to be one of the first to try the new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, and to say this thing is a game changer would be an understatement. Manscaped's fifth generation trimmer features two next-gen interchangeable skin-safe blade heads, a standard trimmer blade for taking a little off the top, and the new oil blade to go for that smooth finish for wherever your heart desires. No more wet shaving? <laughs> Count me in, you know what I'm saying? This bad boy also features the dual LED spotlights to provide contrast on multiple skin tones 
so that you can shed some light on your darkest places. This right here is the cutting edge for cutting pubes. Upgrade your ball trimmer and your life will follow. Get 20% off plus free shipping with code ETP20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code ETP20 at manscaped.com. Your balls have been through enough. It's time to go ultra with Manscaped. You mentioned in there, uh, that was like, I think that was one of the first posts that I saw was you with your rollout mats on tour rolling with people. Did, yeah. did jujitsu doing that, did that like help with uh, homesickness or like feeling down on tours or like the stress of touring? Did like getting with those guys that train or people that were eager to learn, did it like help you on tour at all? Yep. So the big difference between the tours I did last year and all the stuff I did previously was that before I was doing like, that's what I did. It was full time. I didn't have a wife. I didn't have kids, you know, maybe had a girlfriend or a partner here and there, but I was just so immersed in that lifestyle that it was second nature. And that's what I did this time around. It was, it felt a lot more foreign, right? It was like, I, I, my lifestyle now is my family and my job and my training at home and my hobbies and, and to suddenly like throw myself back into this um, touring lifestyle with all these other like adult things going on was, was actually pretty stressful. And um, myself and a couple of the other guys in the band that are in a similar kind of position to me, you know, found it kind of difficult to deal with from time to time. So having that um, having training as a familiarity, I think helped. Um, it's funny. Like I definitely do get homesick even now at 40 years of age. And even on my, like my work trips, I might only be gone for a weekend or four or five days, but like, I'm so, I have such a strong emotional and physical connection with my wife and my kids that like, it sucks, man. <laughs> it sucks when like you go away even just for a couple of days and it's like a little piece of you is missing. And, um, so yeah, rolling helped with that. Um, the first time I did it was with a kind of a friend of a friend. He wasn't like on the tour or anything, but like a buddy connected us and he was like, Hey, one of my mates trains and he's going to be at the show anyway. Like, you guys should meet or whatever. And I had the mats and he was able to bring his gi and we like rolled them out in a, like a public park. There's literally like a couple of homeless people around and like, yeah. I wouldn't say like a, a, a crowd or anything, but there was like a handful of people just like, what the fuck are these guys doing? And, um, it was super fun. It was awesome. And a couple of people that had never done it before, like jumped in and wanted to mess around and that, yeah, that like, filled my heart definitely doing that so being in the the music injury industry <laughs> industries since like the early 2000s i feel like from the friends that i've had that you know i've been in bands and whatnot loyalty within the music industry is like you know not really there you know bands will drop you left and right and whatnot with your experience from in being in you know music for so long has it changed your way you look at loyalty within jujitsu like are you more loyal now in jujitsu or is it how, how has that affected you um i i think it would vary depending on who who your instructor is and kind of what their lineage is and what their training's been because i know there are schools out there who are, it's all about like you got to be loyal just to your your gym and your school and its affiliates and like anything else is blasphemy. 
I'm lucky. Like my, my instructor was always like, get as much experience as you can go train in other places, drop in in other gyms, like get in the garage with friends. Like all of that is beneficial to the journey. Right. So I don't know if I would draw a parallel necessarily to music, but specifically within jujitsu, I'm, I guess I'm just grateful that that was my, um, my training and and train of thought from my instructors was to kind of be broad and diverse in your training. Um, yeah, music's a whole nother thing because when you're in a band, you're essentially in a relationship with four, three or four other people. Like you share a small enclosed space with those people. And then there's extended relationships when you have crew members and things like that. And, um, you know, you have these like different individual dynamics with each person as well as a group dynamic with everyone. And kind of in some bands, there's a hierarchy of people that are in charge and in others, it's a, a democracy. And so I've kind of had the spectrum of experience um, through the different bands and careers that I've had. Um, but yeah, I guess with, when it comes to loyalty, it's it's just kind of case by case. Like I've had... I've had friendships break down with people that are that I would have thought would be like lifelong friends, you know, mm. and for whatever reason people change and go their separate ways. And, and then I've had friendships with someone that I met as an acquaintance while I was touring and realized over time that I have so much in common with this person. And I like, I enjoy to try to keep in touch with them. And I guess there's kind of like those synergies with like the gym and different, you know, relationships with different people too. But I think I don't know my training partners anywhere near as intimately as like people I've shared a band with, you know, like you're literally living with these people, you know, locked in a studio with them for five, six weeks at a time sharing hotels, sharing tour buses. So there's definitely like a level of intimacy that, that probably most people don't experience even with their like closest friends. Um, so yeah, that's a balancing act, but I've been fortunate to like make a bunch of friends and I have friends that I still, you know, will still endeavor to see when I am home in Australia or like I have a couple of friends in Europe that I'm still super tight with as well. Um, so yeah, it's nice. So you are sitting in a room right now that has a buttload of Legos yeah. in the background. Yeah, the elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah, if people don't know, uh, Jonah is in a man cave right now, uh, and you you are a adult fan of Legos. Uh, you even have like your whole Instagram account on it and everything like that. What, what's your favorite piece that you have? Uh, yeah. So I feel like we're about to take it from like cool band guy that does jiu-jitsu <laughs> like dorkiest dude on the planet right now but right i own it um i have i have a couple cool pieces but i have a set that i paid kind of an embarrassing amount of money for because it's considered like the holy grail set for any star wars lego collector um it's a set from 2003 it's like the cloud city kind of diorama um, but it's like the really old version and, and it was the only uh, set that came with um, certain minifigures that were like one off with like special printing and stuff. So like, yeah, I, I'll grab one and show <laughs> Get real dorky. So this guy, 
sells for about $1,800 on really? its own. Just this one little guy because he has printing on his arms and legs. And, and who's that for people that don't know at home? This is Boba Fett. And, the, uh, yeah. And if you guys, you guys, if you guys are listening to it, Jonah has it in its own uh, temper glass. Yeah. <laughs> little protected case locked it's, in there where my kids can't touch it. It probably has like sensors on the inside to notify them if someone's trying to play with it. One of the hardest things about having all this cool stuff is like a lot of it is quite valuable, right? Um, some of it's like newer sets that I picked up, but it's, you know, special to me. And I have a five-year-old son and he comes in here and he's like, I want to play with that. I want to play with that. And he wants to, and like, I have some sets that I, like I'll let him get into, but like, he doesn't quite understand like, well, well, I have Lego and you have Lego. Like, why can't I play with yours the way I play with mine kind of thing? Yeah. So he, he, he does get it now. Like I've kind of explained it to him a little bit, but I feel bad for the guy. <laughs> yeah. My, my oldest son's 15 and he's, he's big into Legos too. And you know, there, there'll be moments when he's building something with Legos and you know, he gets like super frustrated with it because he can't find a piece so it's automatically missing out of the set they forgot the set or you know he doesn't he he didn't read the the instructions 100 percent, so he you messed up so much. like 15 pages yeah yeah and so i tell him like look man when you're getting frustrated in and doing something like as intricate as this like you can't come at it with frustration because it's not going to work out like you're yeah. not going to you're not going to progress it. You're going to keep making mistakes. You're just going to get more and more frustrated. And you have to like take a step away and like take a breath. Is that something that you, you come to, you get in having when you start building some of your stuff too? Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like I have those moments so much as an adult with Lego. And in fact, one of the reasons I was drawn back to it, I mean, there's, there's a number of reasons, right? There's like, the fact that it's collectible and it's valuable. And I was, I was always a collector of like, I had like action figures and stuff mm. when I was my younger twenties. And, um, and then I'm just obsessed with star Wars. So there's just like the perfect crossover there. But when I, when I got back into it and it was actually like in 2020, um, kind of right around like the pandemic, um, the set that you can see like right up there is the death star. And uh, that was like, that came out when I was already an adult and I, I didn't realize at that time that I could be an adult and be into Lego. So I, just <laughs> like, I was just like, Oh, that's cool. I wish that was around when I was a kid and it didn't click that like, well, you can buy it and build it and have fun with it. I just, I hadn't, I didn't realize that yet. And uh, my wife ended up buying me this little set for Christmas and she's like, you know, you've got a son now and you're going to want to build Lego with him. And she knows that like, I love Lego as a kid. I had like a massive collection. So she bought me this one little tiny thing that looked way bigger on the box than I built it. And it's like this big. And, and then I was like, fuck it. I'm going to get the death star. Like I'm an adult. I have my own money. I'm going to do it. it. <laughs> my kid can play with it. So that was the second set I bought. And I actually bought it right. Like we, we had COVID as a family and we're like locked in our house at the oh, time, no. at Christmas time for like two weeks or whatever back then. And so that, that's what I did. I built that, but man, it was a slippery slope and look, this, this is what's no. happening now. I just like became obsessed and then, and then there's like the hunt, right? Like the bargain hunt on Facebook marketplace, and eBay <laughs> and trying to find like the thousand dollar set for like, 
five hundred dollars or yeah like crazy stories of people buying just like someone's old toys like a box of lego and they they pull out like a you know they pull out this guy eighteen hundred dollars worth out of something they paid 50 bucks for at a yard sale so but but when it comes to building like it's very meditative it's like mm. this is what i do to unwind like put on a tv show at night once the kids are gone to sleep and I'm trying to recoup my body from getting destroyed at jujitsu. And I just sit there and I just like, it's like cathartic, you know, like you don't yeah. have to think too much. There's instructions. They're telling you what to do, but man, it, yeah, it's just so peaceful. Does your wife help it at all? She does. Yeah. She's not as into it as me, but we have, I don't know if you can see it, but we have the Harry Potter Diagon Alley. Oh yeah. 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 On the TV there. That was another like big set that I really wanted to get. And she built, probably at least 50 percent of that if not more so really he kind of like she she got it after that she was like see, <laughs> see what the drawer is it's just so relaxing and like peaceful it's nice is, uh, so like you mentioned you're you're a huge star wars fan how, how do you feel about the prequels i know that's a sensitive subject within within the community sometimes yeah well i'm obviously like of the generation i was very young when the originals came out so the originals were, were my jam and then i was pumped for the prequels but i kind of at the time remember being like it's eh, a little cheesy but what really made me appreciate them was getting into star wars lego because some of the most valuable and sought after like characters and builds are from the prequel era it's like the all the clones mm. there's all these clone characters from like the animated clone Wars series sorry for everyone that wanted to hear about like cool band stuff and jujitsu <laughs> but, but uh this is one of my other loves and passions <laughs> but yeah man like all the clone stuff is like because all those kids that were kids and the prequels was their intro to star wars are grown mm -hmm. now, and they're all in their 20s i guess 20s yeah um maybe even like 20s, late 20s, early 30s. And so they're all like revisiting this stuff from their youth as well. And and it's all the clone shit. Yeah, I was going to say, I uh, to tie this back into jujitsu, because, <laughs> but yeah. I was going to say, so when I, I remember, I remember, well, first of all, so if you, I don't know if you could see, but I got X-Wings and TIE Fighters tattooed in my stars and dots. Yes. Yeah. Uh, then I got Darth Vader inside the ditch of my arm. Uh, but <laughs> But so I remember growing up, and being like, man, I hate episode one. I hate the prequels. Like, I just did not like them. And then Ahsoka came out, and I was like, I'm gonna go watch the prequels again, and uh, and you know, get caught up and everything like that. And I was like, man, these are actually pretty good. Like, I actually, besides Jar Jar Binks, like, I actually really enjoyed the prequels. And yeah. like, my my shit, my mindset has like shifted. Like, like these aren't these aren't too bad. Has anything in jujitsu when you first started? where you were like, this is kind of stupid, this kind of sucks, To has changed now to where you're like, it's not that bad, actually. Yeah, like a lot of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, before I get into the, the jiu-jitsu side of things, like one thing I do love about the prequels in episode one, now that I'm a parent, is like my, my son was pretty young when I showed that to him, and obviously like some of the stuff's like not quite appropriate for like a really young kid, but... I, I showed him the pod race scene of Anakin. Yeah. But like even just being able to show him that little like 15, 20 minute segment kind of got, you know, you can see his eyes light up at that kind of stuff. Um, and then like same with like some of the animated series stuff, like we can, we can watch that and share together. And it's actually a really cool like 
bonding thing for us mm-hmm. as fathers because like, I love it. I'm, I love Star Wars so much. So the fact that I love something as much as a five-year-old loves it is like, yeah. Really, <laughs> um, yeah, with the jujitsu stuff, like, I mean, there's techniques. I think there's a lot of techniques that people will learn, especially if it's like more of a body type thing that you'll go, all right, I'm glad I learned that, but I'm 99% confident I'm never going to use this. And it just kind of doesn't doesn't come into your game but there's been things that i've had that thought about and then they do um or even like some of the drills drills are just a punish (laughs) always but some of the drills and then i find myself using those movements in in roles i'm like okay i get it so yeah there's there's some stuff that feels like it sucks at first and then um and then it just becomes like invaluable to the game yeah, I, one of the biggest things that's changed for me is when my I used to have a co-host John. He he quit jujitsu. He's the normal jujitsu blue belt story. Uh, no, <laughs> he's he's like forty five. Yeah, he's yeah. like four, in his defense, he's like forty five. Suffered a stroke. Uh, has had crazy injuries and whatnot. So he was like, "I'm just too old for this. I'm just gonna obviously step away." I get that. <clears throat> um, but you know he him and I, when we first started, we used to think we would watch like a lot of Roy Dean on YouTube. And we're like, everyone needs to test for the belt. You always need to be tested. You have to show X amount of techniques. And now that I'm older and have been doing jujitsu for a a lot longer, I'm like, no, I don't want to come to class and show 60 techniques to prove that I deserve, you know, my next belt. And that's probably like the biggest thing that's changed. And also my whole mindset behind you know, belts don't matter. It's not going to stop you from learning jujitsu. It's not going to stop you from being good at jujitsu. I mean, look at like 10th planet, like you mentioned, they don't have like, they have a belting system, but no one well wears a belt. Yeah. And a lot of times you don't know if someone's like a black belt or not. And then you're like, this guy's whooping my tail. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks even worse though. When you find out they're like a white belt or a blue belt, <laughs> just beat the shit out of you. And you're like, you're like, is there a, is this Costco? Is there a good return policy on this? <laughs> but like back to the um, back to the the thing I was saying before about like kind of trying to shift my mindset and just being comfortable with the pace that I know I'm going to learn at and that I know I can dedicate time to jujitsu. Like that shift in mindset is so much better now for me and. You know, you you definitely do like my old gym with my old instructor, who's my friend. We never did stripes at that gym, so mm. you know you test. We did do testing up until purple belt. You would test when he says you're ready, essentially, and that for some that could be two years. For others, like he had a couple guys that you know were wrestlers in high school and they just picked it up quick and they were a blue belt within a year. And then I think I took longer with both my my belts so far so i think i was white belt for about three years and that was probably also including some injuries and tours and things like that and then i was a blue belt for a little longer actually like three and a half years and i think that was just i was a little slow with some things and it really took his advice a couple times to tell me like the things that i needed to not so much like actively do but there was things i needed to let go of so like Mm -hmm. i was always really bad at holding a position that i just had i had nothing there so i was just Mm -hmm. wasting energy in a position that i was going to lose ultimately and he was like 
you need to when that happens and you know you're going to lose it just let it go fight fight to recover you know and, and kind of start again so those kind of lessons for me um have been really really valuable and you know you do think about the belts and the stripes like I got my first stripe ever as a purple belt at my gym and it was a surprise. And I was like, Oh, this feels really nice. You know? nice. Like <laughs> A little acknowledgement of your like dedication and the time you're putting in. And, um, but I've been a purple belt for two years now and I have one stripe and I'm like completely fine with that because I know how much I train or how little I train. And I know I've had some gaps and I know that I can't train like some of the 20 year olds that are there, but I just make sure on that Tuesday and Thursday and the odd open mat on Saturday here and there, I'm there like almost no matter what, unless I'm gone on like a work trip or whatever. And even then I, when I went on on my tours, I didn't want for my coach, my current coach to, um, to think I was just gone for like a couple months at a time, you know? So I, I called him and asked, I asked initially if I could like record some stuff while I was away. And like, cause I, I kind of taught a couple classes um, when I had the tour I shared with the two blue belts from the other band, mm-hmm. I actually taught like one or two class structured kind of sessions to them. And then I obviously went and took classes at other gyms, but he was like, I don't have time to like watch a bunch of videos, but if you want to keep like a diary, like mm-hmm. keep track and very basic information on like what you did, how long you trained for, um, what you covered, like do that. And that's helpful. So I did that. I was gone, I think for like five or six weeks on one of those tours, kept a diary, you know, listed all the dates I went to class, all the days that we just rolled the mats out and just sparred for an hour or two. Um, so those kind of like not normal things kind of have helped me like just keep on track, I guess, with my, with my progress. Yeah. That's, that's uh, I think journaling, recording your roles and all that stuff is like invaluable, man. Like mm-hmm. I try to tell everyone uh, I used to record myself a lot more than I do now. <clears throat> and I think it's more because of like uh, a lot of people know that I have a platform and so I, I feel uncomfortable now recording because I don't want them to think that I'm using it for you know to make me look better or whatever so I, I stopped recording a little bit um and like now I only record like certain people that I know are okay with it yeah. but I think it's such a great tool I mean I was just yesterday I was just watching my competition footage you know when and watching it and like trying to break it down. Do you record yourself regularly to, so you could rewatch it? Or is that only when you're like kind of away? So I don't. And I only recorded the stuff I did when I was on tour because we had a videographer with us. And I was like, this is kind of fun. And, you know, there was, it played into some of the content we were creating for the band. And it was like a cool different angle. And there's actually a, re- a really cool story about some of the roles I had. I'll, I'll go into in a minute. So remind me because I'll forget. But, um, I, when it comes to jujitsu, I, and probably with other things too, even my music to an extent, I I kind of suffer from imposter syndrome a little bit. Mm. Um, and I just have this fear that like, even now as a purple belt, like say I uploaded like a technique video on Instagram, I have this fear that like people will be like, like you did this wrong and you're a purple belt. Like what the fuck? And so (laughs) I've not been quick to like, 
do anything like that. But I did have uh, my wife and then some of the other teammates of mine like recorded um, some of my competition roles. And that was nice because, you know, obviously I had a couple wins, so it was really cool to see what I did right. And then with the the ones that didn't go so well, it was really cool to reflect back from a perspective that you just don't experience when you're in it, right? You don't you don't see that arm come out of nowhere and you don't see yep. you don't sometimes the position feels very different when you're in it than when you're watching someone else in it. So I think combining those is really important, having that kind of awareness. Um but yeah, that that even just those those bits of footage gave me a little more confidence as well to like post um post up some of the stuff and and it does help like I get inspired when I see other people doing cool shit in jiu-jitsu like I follow so many accounts and watch so many hours of content every day so I think I think there's a value that people could get from seeing me doing it especially because there are people that are fans of me for my music right and they follow me for my music or my lifestyle or my family and and this is like my uh, opportunity to kind of expose them to something else in jujitsu that could be really positive and beneficial to them. Yeah. Um, so what about these roles and interesting stories? Were they like people on tour or something like that? Or Yeah. So um, the band I was playing for was doing these VIP meet and greets which is kind of like a an, an additional like amount that the fans get to pay and they get special access. They get to come and like meet the band one-on-one. There's kind of like a circle time Q&A kind of thing and they can ask like reasonably intimate questions with the band members directly. Um, sometimes, I mean, each band handles VIP kind of differently. Sometimes they'll do a little like, acoustic performance. They might get like special... Um, merch that only the vips get you know that aren't isn't for sale at the regular show kind of thing so it's pretty cool it's without getting like too down the rabbit hole on the music side of things it's um it's a little weird for me because i'm from a very like diy like hardcore punk kind of background and so i'm used to giving fans that access for nothing you know like yeah walking to them through dms on instagram or just like hanging out out the the back of the venue by the bus and talking to people but with the industry like getting just really really hard for bands to continue to make money it's kind of turned into this new revenue stream where Mm -hmm. for the fans that have more money and are willing to pay for that kind of special experience it's it's definitely like helping the bands kind of um stay afloat but back to my story we were we were doing a q a and there was this girl at the meet and greet who had a question for me specifically and this band i was a bit more of like a kind of a half halfway between a session musician but like kind of in the band but not in a way where like i made the decisions like there was the one guy who it was like his band and he brought us in but i obviously had my my pretty cool career um so i was there for a reason but anyway this girl's like oh, Jonah, you do jiu-jitsu, right? And I was like, yes, let's talk. You know, like obviously my ears pricked up right away. And she was also a purple belt, trained in trains in New York, like in Queens. And she just had some question about that. I don't even rem- remember what the question was. 
But I was like, oh, we should roll later. I've got my mats here. And she was like, are you serious? And I was like, yeah. And so she called two of the people that she trains with that also were coming to the show. And all three of them came and rolled with me like before I played. There was like a period, a couple hours between the, the meet and greet and the show. And I have videos from those. One of them's up up on my Instagram, actually. Um, but yeah, I got to like do jujitsu with some music fans that, you know, for them being jujitsu people, it's like that's the ultimate <laughs> VIP experience. Yeah. And actually made me really stoked to kind of try and figure out how to do more of that. Like I wanted to think about in future trying to do some kind of like private sessions or like make it a little more accessible for people who aren't jujitsu people and maybe just do like a basic self-defense seminar or something like that. So that's all stuff I'm, I'm stoked on and kind of trying to work out right now, speaking with some people about it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. To your point, I remember back in the day I, we were in Vegas growing up in the Vegas scene, we had like one predominantly small venue that man, it was, there was no way it wasn't an intimate show. I think it only fit like 150 people yeah. on stage for it. Maybe, maybe that. Uh, but you know, a lot of times the bands that would come, there was, I don't even know if there was a green room to tell you the truth, like, but they were always out around the crowd and everything like that. So it was like, yeah, it was like super cool. I was like, Oh my God, like you're, you just came off stage. I remember seeing Hawthorne Heights in this venue back in, back in like 2007 or something like that. And it it was so small. Hawthorne Heights is like 13 people in the band. So they couldn't even freaking move, dude. They're just like yeah. standing in one spot. But it was like super cool. And we were talking about this too, like the correlation between people in hardcore now are kind of coming over to jiu-jitsu or like metal and stuff like that. And there's quite a few uh, people that are starting their journey or even, you know, have, are black belts and stuff like that. You mentioned you had a a, a list. What are some of the people that, that people might not know that do jiu-jitsu within the, the music scene? Yeah, so as we were chatting offline before we hit record, like there's this weird little pocket of like crossover with specifically metal and hardcore bands and some kind of punk rock stuff and jujitsu and some like really high level. And I'm fascinated with it because I am like a living, you know, example of it, right? And I I wanna find out why, why that exists. And so I'm I'm kind of I'm starting to think about this project where I might try and, you know, go around and interview people and and figure out like why there's this weird little synergy within metal and hardcore and jiu-jitsu. But yeah, I've got a list of people and some of the people on this list are like people I know personally, others I just know are um jiu-jitsu athletes, but also musicians. So um Harley Flanagan of Cromags is a black belt. Yep, yeah. Uh, I don't know him, but um, kind of have an, a potential in with some of those crew. Uh, yeah. Zoltan Bathory from Five Finger Death Punch is a black belt as well in both jiu-jitsu and judo, and he posts a ton of yeah. content on his socials too, which is really Both cool. of them are big tied into Matt Wallstrom of Epic Roll. I think they all kind yeah. of bought into Epic Roll, yeah, that which makes- I've actually chatted with too. Nice. Yeah. So he, I, I don't know him super well, but like we kind of like work together um, on some various projects. Got Matt Heafy from Trivium, just I think just got, got his black belt recently. Yep. Uh, Maynard from Tool is a brown belt, I believe. And he owns, so he lives out like Sedona area, kind of a couple hours from me. And there's not a lot out there. It's like smaller towns, but I believe he owns the gym that's in that kind of group of towns. I think it's Cottonwood. Arizona maybe 
Um, so he, he co-owns that with another instructor. Um, got Billy Biohazard is a black belt and he's like a, he's a good friend of my instructor, AJ. Um, you mentioned Ryan Morgan of Misery Signals. Yeah. He's a good buddy of mine. I got to train with him last year on one of the tours I was at, uh, dropped in at his spot in Boise in Idaho. Um, one of my old booking agents, his name is Marco, uh, Walzel. He's, um, over in Germany. He's a black belt as well, like competes in worlds and stuff over there. Um, there's a bunch of other dudes and girls on here too, that are like not so specific in music that I'd love to, to hit, but, um, Andy and Jeeves from the band crown, the empire are the, some of the guys I was training with on the tour last year as well. So they're like fully into it. Um, there's a newer band called dying wish and their guitar player, Pedro trains. I believe he's a blue belt. We got connected through like a mutual friend and, unfortunately haven't gotten to roll yet but like mm. yeah that was like another person i've been trying to connect with but yeah there's a ton uh demi lovato <laughs> yeah. i do training but she she, got she a, is a hardcore well, kid too believe it or not <laughs> well yeah she came to a bring me show she came to see us at warp tour 2010 i think it was um maybe in ventura or somewhere in california I remember coming off stage like sweaty, disgusting, just played like the hottest summer warp tour show ever. And this dude's back there and he comes up and he's like, um, I'm Demi Lovato's uh, production assistant. I'm just wondering, is it, is it okay if she comes and says hi to the band? Like, <laughs> okay, cool. So there's a photo floating around of like me, Ollie, the singer of Bring Me, and I think Matt, the drummer, and Demi Lovato all hanging out. I was like, that'd be an interesting role. <laughs> yeah, I got a list of people I want to roll with. She's on there. I got Joe Rogan, obviously, would be great. Jonah Hill. I don't yeah, know he's... if he's still training, but if you're listening, Jonah, another <laughs> Jonah, let's go, bro. <laughs> let's do a charity match. Tom Hardy's been competing and crushing in comps as well. Yeah, yeah. That's like a that's like my my bucket list interview right there is uh is Tom Hardy, man. Like I would love to yeah, chat with him. Yeah, uh, no, I, like I mentioned too, I kind of want to, because uh, I'm, I'm big into music. Finn McKenney, I don't know if you know who he is from Punk Rock NBA on YouTube, yep. but he's a, he's a purple belt down. He lives like an hour away from me. Yeah, and uh, I was like, I would love to go train with him and, and catch up with him. And, uh, but yeah, as I, I was noticing it too. It's like, there's like a big crossover uh, where I'm like, dude, like there's, there's a void in this. I don't want to talk too much about it because I don't want someone to steal my idea, but there's a big yeah. void in the space right here. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I would do a documentary, but yeah. uh, I was like, this is definitely, maybe I could add it on to elbows tight or something. <laughs> That'd be sick. Oh, Alex Hagerman, I got a shout out to singer of a band called raised fist. They were like one of the first hardcore bands I got into from Sweden. And he just got his black belt. I think pretty recently, like within the last maybe year or two um, through the Gracie system. So he's, always like he's a pretty full-time musician but all his instagram content is all jujitsu and it's fucking sick i love it so one one of your personality or not personality one of your lifestyle things is you're you're a vegan and you're you're straight edge Uh, i don't know if i mean straight edge i mean as an adult i don't really think there's like (laughs) i don't know if you want to hold that title as an adult or not but um has being a vegan how does that affect your training since you started jujitsu and has like your nutrition or eating habits kind of changed at all since taking on jujitsu? Yeah. Um, yes and no. And I do still call myself straight edge. I'm still like 
a hardcore kid at heart. I have yeah. tickets to go see Earth Crisis in a couple of weeks in California, and I'm just going to relive the glory days. Um, <laughs> but no, for me, like, and for anyone that doesn't know what straight edge is, it's basically like a conscious abstinence from like drugs, alcohol, um, any kind of mind altering substances. Um, and the whole basis is like just basically clean mind and body. Um, and that was something that I adopted very, very young, uh, before I even knew that it had a, a label or that there was like a group of people that did that. Um, and just from my youth, like my family dynamics and situation and growing up in a small country town, I kind of made the decision really early on to not ever drink or smoke or anything like that. Um, which is pretty un unusual, I feel like, from my experience and all the people I've met. But it's something that's personal to me and always served me really well. Um, and then the vegan thing, yeah, I, it's hard to know because you have people that boast like it's this life-changing thing when it comes to health. And then you have the other side saying like it's detrimental and you got to be way more paying close attention to, you know, your nutrient intake and stuff like that. I, I think genetically, I'm just really fortunate that I haven't ever had to be like calorie counting or making sure I'm like taking supplements or anything like that. I've been pretty lazy most of my life and I've been vegan for almost 24 years uh, oh, wow. coming in January. So longer than most people. Um, but I don't know if I would say there's necessarily like a benefit or a drawback with jujitsu specifically, other than like people that usually are pretty surprised when they find out. I mean, when I was younger and doing music, like everyone knew I was vegan. That's all I fucking talked about. I was like the annoying guy. It's like CrossFitters. Like, yeah. <laughs> on Twitter and on social media. And, you know, I've kind of chilled out a little bit with that lately. Um, but it's cool when I roll with people and they're like, are oh, you vegan? Oh, that's cool you know, that's interesting or I didn't, I don't know. I guess I like occasionally I'll get the, like, you know, you're stronger than I thought you'd be something like that. It's kind of dumb cliches as well. But I, um, again, with like my eating habits and stuff, I actually used to be really lazy and pretty, um, pretty bad with at least like eating regimented meals. Like I would, I was, I've always been a night owl. So I would like kind of wake up later traditionally and then wouldn't sometimes eat my first meal until like one or 2 PM. And then oh. I would have dinner and I realized, well, I've only had two meals today or I'd have, you know, or I'd be eating at one in the morning kind of thing. And now, now at least that I've been incorporating like more strength training and fitness, it's just necessary for me to eat more. And it, it kind of has, helped my appetite as well. So now I'm definitely like more disciplined with eating and kind of eating larger meals and not, not super focused on like calorie counting or anything like that, but just at least knowing that I'm getting like a good server protein per meal and, um, you know, I can do shakes and stuff in between just like anyone else would in any kind of like mm -hmm. fitness scenario. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely, helped like more recently to just kind of like increase on the fitness side of things. And then in turn, you know, my sleep improves and my appetite improves. And in turn with all of that, my training improves, you know, my, I'm stronger now. I feel better in general. So my, my roles are better and I feel, um, uh, yeah, I just feel better and stronger when I, we've been training lately. 
So what is this strength and conditioning training that you recently taken on? I saw you been working out with some other people, looks like in your area. And, uh, uh, you're like posting videos of you doing pull-ups with your kids and, you know, yeah, that's the fun like making a conscious effort to, you know, and that's something I honestly, that's something I need to be better about because like we mentioned we're both dads, super busy day jobs, stuff like that. That's one thing that's my physical health has gone down a little bit just because I'm like, I work a lot of 12 hour shifts. I travel a lot for work too. And so I'm like, damn jonah jonah's over here with this kid on his back doing some pull-ups and <laughs> look bad. i'm like god damn it like what does what your strength and conditioning training now look like so before i get into that a couple years ago it must have been probably around 2020 my son was like two i started getting this like weird low back pain and i didn't know what it was and i just you know just thought I'd injured myself in a role or something. And, and then I realized it was persistent. And like after a couple of months, I went and had an MRI and it turns out I have um, like facet joint arthritis in my, in my lumbar region. So like L3 through L5, I think I just have like some inflammation and it just causes like a constant chronic pain. Um, and I've done a couple of different things to like treat that. And it's not really something that I can fix or heal, unfortunately. So it's just like a part of my life now that I have to kind of balance and deal with. But that left me feeling quite vulnerable for a while, which I didn't like. I don't enjoy that feeling at all. Um, so I think kind of like the fitness kick came about as a result of that, of just like the feeling vulnerable and not wanting to feel like helpless or like weak or, you know, don't want to sound too cheesy or anything, but, and then having kids and like wanting them to have a good influence as well. So, um, it was literally just like one day I, I had a couple buddies in the area that one was a previously a trainer and, you know, they're very big into like weight training and I was just like, I want to get on this. Like, you know, can you guys help me out? And so one of them in particular, I train with, we try to train three times a week. So I've kind of, because my schedule is already pretty wild with uh, family and jobs and stuff. I'm trying to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday is weight training. Tuesday, Thursday is jujitsu, sometimes Saturday. And then just as a like little bonus thing we started doing, we just started incorporating some like body weight stuff that we can easily do like at home. And I kind of have gone back and forth with that a little bit, but for a while we were doing it like very consistently every single day, seven days a week, we were doing four to 500 reps of three or four exercises at home. Oh, wow. um, Pull-ups wasn't in there, but I really like, I remember trying to do a pull-up when I first started working out and I'm like, cool, I can do like two. That sucks. So I want to change that as fast as I can. So I went down to Goodwill and bought just like one of those shitty little door frame bars and it's been up. Ever that you since. always see the, the epic fails of people falling on. <laughs> I've almost had a couple. Yeah. It's sketchy. Um, but yeah, man, like just, I think having that kind of like injury weakness in my back and then wanting to be a good role model for my kids made me want to just feel better and look better and be better, be better for them, be better for jujitsu as well. And I, I didn't think it would be as noticeable when I first started. And so I've been pretty consistent on this um, kind of training schedule for a little over six months now, maybe seven months. And it's, it's so noticeable. Like 
rolling with people that used to be way more of a hard time. And now I'm like, okay, I can manage this better. Like I can, I, I just feel stronger, obviously competition. Like it was a really good time for me to try competing because I was the, I'm the strongest I've ever been. And I feel the best I've ever been, you know, save for my low back stuff. But, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of how that came about. And I hope I can keep it up because I've always been really inconsistent. Like I'll get on a kick like that for six months and then two yeah, years I won't do anything for, but I'm pretty motivated right now and, and I'm seeing pretty good results. So. Yeah, that's, that's good, man. It's like I mentioned, I, I, um, I follow or I pay for Chad Wesley Smith. He does like juggernaut strength and conditioning. He's a purple belt over nice. in the California area too. Um, <clears throat> but like he has like an app and I usually do that. And same thing. I try to do it off jujitsu days. Um, but my wife has picked up a refurbishing furniture habit. <laughs> so our garage, our home gym turned into a carpentry shop. Workshop, so. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't been able to do it, but I want to get back into it, man. Cause I, I I've noticed like a mental side obviously starts to decline, like because my physical side is starting to decline. Even yeah. in roles, I'm like, I'm like gassed after one or two. I'm like, dude, I gotta freaking fix this, man. So, uh, I definitely something that I've, I'm like, I gotta. There's no more excuses. I could bring a kettlebell up in my room and, yeah. <laughs> and freaking do something. Yeah, the mental aspect is definitely a huge benefit that I didn't ever really feel like I would see such a strong connection really? with yeah and and now since i've been so so much more consistent with with my fitness training and jujitsu like those things combined you know helping like we talked about before the sleep and the appetite stuff my mood is just like so much better i just yeah. like you know it, it, life's always up and down you go through kind of low points but i feel like i've consistently felt pretty good mentally as well um so yeah, that's definitely like a, a blessing that I'm I'm super thankful for um with that side of things. Um I love the home workout stuff too, like the body weight stuff, because I so I do my job is like marketing. I do like marketing and content. And um I have a home office that I'm in now. I work from home, fortunately. But it's cool because I can just, you know, take a break in the in between work calls and bust out. 50 push-ups yeah. and then go back to it and then take another break later on right before I eat lunch and do 10 pull-ups and you can just kind of like spread it out. I'm not doing it in a way where it's like very intensive and in like one kind of session, which it's accumulative. Yeah. There's probably downsides to that, but I'm stoked on it. <laughs> it's serving me well. Yeah. Hey, well, Jonah, uh, it's getting late for both of us. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today, man. Like, uh, I, I'm, super grateful that you gave me your time uh i like to end every show with the the same question if you could give one piece of advice to a brand new white belt what would it be man trying to think of that without being cliche as well um <laughs> yeah it's hard because I think the the valuable advice that I have is something that maybe won't really resonate until like blue or purple belt but again for me it was just really uh understanding that everyone is on their own path and has their own journey and it's not like it's not a set thing you're not definitely going to get your blue belt in two years you're not definitely going to get your black belt in 10 years like that's a, a guideline or a kind of a measurement that's like an average maybe but if you can 
find a way to just be consistent in the best way that you can with your personal situation, whether it's work schedule, whether it's girlfriend, you know, family relationship, um, find that way to be consistent with your own schedule and then just stick to that. And, you know, you, you'll have a black belt on eventually. I know I will. I know you will. Um, as long as we stay committed and consistent. Yeah, absolutely. Well, if people want to follow you or check you out, where, where's the, where can they find you at? Um, best place and place I'm most active is my Instagram, which is just my name at Jonah Weinhofen. Um, probably has a weird spelling no h and one f <laughs> um, but yeah i'm easy to find um it's a lot of just lifestyle stuff on there not a lot of music bit of jujitsu bit of lego bit of family <laughs> um, but that's like where i am i guess my most authentic self i don't have like a website or anything i'm not selling anything i'm just a guy that did cool stuff and has had a good life and i'm trying to still do cool stuff yeah well thank you again man for coming on uh if you guys have made it this far please let me know down in the comments below dm me on instagram what was your favorite part uh thank you guys so much for listening and watching at home and uh remember no oil checks here peace <laughs>